Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. What if? What if the songs that we sing, the sermons that we preach, the acts of service uh, that we express, or the financial gifts that we give are empty? What if they're empty gifts to God? What if our lives, for some particular reason, are more <clears throat> shrouded with an effort to present a spiritual or religious image to those around us, family or friends or the workplace, whatever it might be, but our hearts are actually far from God. What would Jesus undo? And this is something that I'll call empty worship. I think Jesus would undo empty or hollow worship. I want to address this uh, from Matthew's gospel. There's a fascinating conversation that takes place between <clears throat> clearly very, very religious people and uh, Jesus, Matthew 15, verses 1 and 2. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. That seems like a life-altering question to have answered. Would you agree? How come your dudes don't wash their hands? And here's the funny thing. As I was thinking about this, do you realize that where Jesus was at this time, it was just a little bit northwest of the Sea of Galilee, and Jerusalem is like 80 miles away. So I got to thinking, who would walk 80 miles to ask this kind of question? Sorry, I'm kind of cattywampus here. So basically, the religious elites say, hey, your dudes aren't washing their hands. What's their problem implying what's your problem? But we do need to understand the Pharisees and the religious people of the day were obsessed with ceremonial cleanliness. It was very, very important. Ceremony, I can't even say that word. I shouldn't have put it in here. Ceremonially being clean. Nothing to do with physical cleanliness. I know some of you probably are, um, you gotta, you take a shower two or three times a day. It's not that kind of obsession. This is about kind of the spiritual expression of being clean. Because the state of a person um, and their cleanliness, as it were, is what qualified them or made them eligible to worship. And devout Jews really viewed life and assessed things from one of two viewpoints. It was either clean or it was unclean. Thanks for filling in the blank. Animals, food, things. In fact, uncleanness, is that even a word, is communicable. So like if someone was unclean or had an element of uncleanness, you could get like in fifth grade, Pam, Pam uh, liked me even in grade school, and she was a year or two younger than me, and uh, I, I didn't want her talking to me because you get girl cooties, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so she actually didn't even notice me, but... But if you have a skin problem, you're unclean. 
you know, get near or touch a dead body, you're unclean. Uh, pigs weren't very good for the Jewish people. They're unclean. So m- mice, that was another bad thing. So if a, if a mouse ran through the cupboard and touched a cup, and then I, as the dude in the house, touched the cup, and then I would be unclean. So you got an unclean mouse, you got an unclean cup, you got an unclean husband in this case. And then if I touched my wife... She was unclean. So this whole lack of cleanliness and rightness to come into the presence of God gets all messed up because it's transferable. Therefore, you were not fit for worship. And if this happened, one had to engage in an elaborate ceremony of becoming clean, a religious expression to become Clean. Now, I don't know if you've read about this much, but I do know this was the case for some extreme devoted Jews. You had to use a lot of water, but you had to use it in a certain way. So to clean the hands, the one who to be clean had to hold their hands this way. Someone outside of them would pour water over the top of their hands, beginning the cleaning process, and then... The person had to turn their hands this way and the ceremony would continue and water would be poured to make sure that the cleaning of the hands was proper and appropriate. And the strict Jew would not only do this before the meal, they would actually do it between courses of the meal. So, I don't eat hamburgers anymore, but if I was going to eat a hamburger, I would wash my hands to remain ceremonially clean before the burger. After the burger, when I started in on the fries, I'd have to do it again. And then the milkshake. Because I want to be nice and holy and righteous before God, I guess. So the Pharisees asked Jesus the question, hey, why do your boys not wash their hands? And Jesus obliges them with a great answer. I'm not going to read the entirety of the text. But basically, he unleashes on them and says, hey, you guys don't even treat people right, especially your parents. You don't treat your parents correctly. You have no respect, no grace, no love, obsessing over external traditions. Your hearts are not connected to the Father. Even though you do all this religious activity, your heart is connected to the activities of religiosity that you perform. So Jesus is making a clear distinction between outward expression and where the human heart is. He's saying, you know, you got it going on on the outside, but internally you're far from God. These are his exact words in verses 7 and 8. It's pretty aggressive. <clears throat> I do not want Jesus to talk to me this way. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, verse 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. The New Living Translation, I love how it closes out this sentence. It says, your worship is a farce. So, there can be worship that is pleasing to Almighty God, and there can be worship that, I guess we could say, is displeasing. I don't want to be in the 
displeasing camp. The outside looked really cool. It looked so spiritual, so religious, but inside the motives of their heart, and hopefully not ours, is a little bit askew. It was hollow or empty worship. The religious people were saying, maybe you can hear this in the text, maybe you cannot, but the religious people were saying, this is the way to be right to worship. This is the way. So step back from the text a little bit. I think this is a perfect example of well-meaning God followers worshiping worship instead of worshiping the Savior. There's a big difference. Worshiping worship versus worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What would Jesus undo? I think he would undo the show of religion or spirituality so he can purge from us perhaps uh, anything that would be, I guess, uh, a resident hollowness or empty worship. And as a church, um, I really believe we, as Westside family, the greater body of Christ, are we have wonderful potential to move from wherever it is we might be now into a more genuine, heartfelt, biblical worship. Now, when I say that, I'm not implying that your worship is inauthentic. That's not what I'm saying. But if we ever grow content and start to uh, espouse the notion that this is the only way, it could be uh, that religion might be displacing our hunger to look and to be a little bit more like Jesus. Now, I know when we say the word worship, most people think music. I get that. And it's kind of sort of a little bit maybe true. But for the Christ follower, worship is actually to be not only the music and the vocal skills, but how I treat and honor her day to day. Or how I honor God's holy word by devoting myself to the consuming of it. You kind of tracking with me a little bit? So sometimes we think, well, it's style. It's like, oh, I like that style. Mm, not that style so much. Or it's the environment. I prefer the more reverent, not the rowdy. I don't know what our stances would be on that. Which one is right? Well, how many of you have had the privilege of, well, one, worshiping uh, with people in other traditions, just other, a, a little bit? Anybody traveled overseas and worship with, with people? They're like nuts. It's so fun. It's crazy. I, I was in, uh, I've had the privilege of being a, a couple of places. And, uh, you know, when I, when I see and kind of immerse myself in the culture and the authenticity of their love for Jesus and their ethnicity and all these racial differences and the creative expressions, they're limitless for how we might glorify and worship the Lord. It's really fun and it kind of stretches you if you, all you've known is Western civilization worship. Well, we'll get back to that in a second. How about, have you been part of uh, a very, like, let's call it traditional expression. Very traditional and stoic where all you do is sing hymns. Anybody ever done that? So can you explain to me why it is that verse three gets cut out of everything? 
Hey, we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4 today. Poor verse 3. I'm sure some of them are very powerful. Well, how many of you, I know you're here today, and, and we're part of a Pentecostal movement. You know, we're, we're uh, a little bit expressive, but how many of you have been a part of a charismatic church where it's like, oh no, they're going to start swinging from the chandeliers here any minute? Yeah. And then some of us are going, that is so cool. We just love it. Okay. Have you ever been one where someone's got a ribbon on a stick and they're waving it in the back of the sanctuary? Yes, you have. You ever been to one where there's a tambourine lady? I don't know. There's a lady with the tambourine and she's hitting the tambourine thing and the worship leader's so frustrated because she's not hitting on beat or whatever you're... <laughs> but they're worshiping. You know, they're just having a good old time. Some of you might be used to high church or acapella singing or choirs and robes and stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. And, and then others of you know you've been a part of a church where it says you must worship to an organ. God does not hear worship if it's not to an organ. And others of you would say get rid of the organ. It's all about the candles and the placement of the candles. Right? Because it's all about the external things and the environment and the general vibe. Some would say, oh, I love 15 minutes of worship. Three songs, let's get in the presence of God. Let's worship fiercely and let's move on. And others would say, you sinners, it's got to be at least two hours of worship before you really get your hearts prepared. It's, it's the wildest thing. And it's a beautiful thing. So my question is, which one is best? Let's take the traditional and reserved versus the charismatic and demonstrative. Which one is best? I'm not going to ask you to vote. That's not what today is about. Which one is right before God? I'll give you the answer. It is either neither or either. It depends not on the methodology or the style, even the craftsmanship of the vocalists or the musicians, although that can be helpful. It's about the heart of the worshiper. Worship is not a style of music. It's the way that we live. Therefore, when we worship, we're to bring a heart fully engaged with Almighty God, aware of his holiness and our sinfulness. And you guys think, like, why do you always talk about sin and stuff? I'll tell you why. Because if we don't talk about sin, we'll forget how fantastic the blood of Jesus Christ is and how he cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And that, my friends, is something to worship about. Thank you. Okay, Jesus quotes Isaiah, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So true worship is that that touches the heart of God. It's, it's not about style, it's not about tempo, it's not about the environment. It's, it's a reflection of the sinner's heart of gratitude to the Savior of the world. That's what it is. Now, I know uh, Gianna mentioned how wonderful it is to hear your voices. And I, she was telling you the truth. What she didn't say is pretty painful to hear mine because I was right there. And I don't know how to sing worth a hoot. But it was genuine worship to the Lord. Be glad I'm not sitting behind you. Anyhow. <clears throat> 
Let me, let me kind of illustrate it this way. We have four kids. I think many of you know that. Four kids, they're all grown up and out of the house. But at one time, they weren't out of the house. And they used to do these things where they would, they would create a skit. And they would have these costumes. And, and they would show up and do a sketch or a skit for Pam and I. Or sometimes, they'd like write a song. And they'd sing it. So... They'd come to Pam and I, and, and their hearts were just to bless us and to please us, and they would sing. And the lyrics made no sense a lot of times. And, and we had a couple kids that are pretty gifted naturally with vocal skill, and a couple that were really bad. And uh, so they would prepare this song, and they'd beginning, begin singing Acapulco for us, and uh, you know what? You know what Pam and I immediately said? Hold it, hold it. No, 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 no. We want a praise band. We really want the style. In fact, one of you guys should be in skinny jeans for sure. <laughs> and you need spiky hair and you got to have tattoos. Then <laughs> then we'll receive your song <clears throat> as a blessing. No, we would never say that. We were thrilled. We didn't, we didn't care who was on key or off key. We didn't care what the lyrics were. What we were excited about was their purity of heart coming before mom and dad and just busting loose. That's how the father looks. Let's just go in his presence and let her rip. You know what I mean? He's not going to go, huh, sorry, you're too this or too that or not enough this. He just wants his kids to express genuine, heartfelt love for him. That's what he wants from us. So worship isn't about the style of music, the building, the environment. It's the condition of our heart. Amen. Amen. And primarily, even though I'm mentioning it second, it's the object of our worship and his name is Jesus. The object of our worship. Not, we're not going to get excited about worshiping worship because the band hit it out of the park today, by golly. We're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as kids, kind of like our kids came to us. And I, I just want to encourage myself and you that we got to understand that Christianity or following Jesus is not a hobby. It's not a label that we wear. It's not an interest, one of the interests in our life. If we really want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, Christ is our life. He didn't just make a bad guy decent. He made a dead guy alive. And any of us who profess Christ as Lord and Savior, we came from a place of eternal death into eternal life. And that is something, yay, to sing about. <laughs> Therefore, worship isn't limited to the songs that we sing or the method by which we sing them. Worship is the life we live. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Worship is the life we live. I mean, visualize with me for a moment. Look, just visualize all that God has done that you're simply aware of. The, the sinless son of God, obedient to death for you and for me. Obedient unto death for you and for me. Is it something that we can't get excited about so that we might be forgiven? Jesus defeats death, hell, 
and the grave, all those things for you and me. It doesn't make any sense in my mind. We're recipients of so much of his grace. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. His spirit dwells inside his followers. And add this to it. At this very moment, Jesus is praying on your behalf before the Father. Really, we deserve that? No, we don't. But his grace gives that to us. He is so very good. So in view of who God is and what he's done, sometimes, sometimes we can creatively express our worship. So how do we express worship? There's tons of different ways. I'm going to look at a few biblical ones. Some of them you're going to hear and you're going to go, nope, that's a little too uncomfortable for me. I'm not going to be engaging in that. But that's okay because maybe the spirit of God will take his holy word and say, oh, yes, you are going to engage in this. Sometimes we bow in reverence. The psalmist says this, Psalm 95, verse 6, come, let us bow down in worship. In fact, why don't you read this second part with me? Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I don't know if you're like comfortable with that or uncomfortable with that. And these are terribly hard floors, so I'm not going to require you to kneel or anything. But there's sometimes when the holiness of God and the sinfulness and awareness of my own sinfulness where I cannot but kneel. I have got to kneel. Usually it's in a more private setting, but sometimes it could happen here. And here's the good news for those of us that love Jesus is we can kneel out of devotion and wonder and blessing and worship. Do you realize that some people are not going to have the privilege to make that choice? Because scripture is quite clear that every knee is going to bow. Every knee will bow to his lordship. I'd rather do it in worship (laughs) than sitting under the, the power of his rejection. Every knee will bow. So, Sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. Now, those of us who come from a little more charismatic or Pentecostal background, it's no big deal. You throw your hands up. It's all good. Some of you others, I have no idea what your backgrounds are. So you might be looking around and going, okay, that's really weird. Why do they have their hands in the air? And why do some of them hold them straight up? And others of them hold them like this. And some of them look like they're carrying a TV. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and, and we want you to be comfortable. This is simply an expression of our worship. That's all that it is. It's not a weird Pentecostal thing. It's a biblical thing. Paul lifted holy hands to God. David says this when he's out in the wilderness, Psalm 63, verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name, what does he say? I will lift up my hands. Everybody, hands up. I know you're going, I'm not playing. Hands down, anyhow, good job. It's okay, nobody's gonna like collapse because we raise our hands in a biblical expression of praise and worship. So, lifted hands. I'm sure if you've been in church in any denomination, uh, you've heard it said that the raising of hands has two universal meanings or primary expressions. One is... Uh, surrender, right? You've heard that phrase before. 
Uh, you see it in Western shows. You see it in Army shows. Uh, I, I give up. And then the other one, the other primary expression where we see this is victory. Don't we like do this sometimes when there's a victory? Victory, yeah. So, so here's the thing. When you lift hands before the Lord, two things can happen simultaneously and with great power. One is, I surrender, Lord. And the other one is, in the same breath, we have victory in your holy name because of what you have done. So I'm thinking it says it in the Bible, it's okay. David even did it, that's okay. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. So I'm gonna praise the Lord with my hands in the air. If it bothers some of you, I'm so sorry. It's not intended to bother you. I'm just worshiping my king. You good with that? All right. So sometimes we kneel, sometimes we lift our hands, sometimes, it's getting kind of edgy, we dance in celebration. Now, I am not going to bust a move up here, so don't you worry about that. But we sang about it. We sang about it a little bit. There's like biblical references to it. We know that I think it was Michael, David's wife, got pretty offended because he danced before the ark when they were returning uh, the ark from wherever it was, Ziklag or somebody, someplace like that. Anyhow, so dancing is actually a legit thing. Psalm 149, verse 3. Let them praise his name with what? Dancing. Now, you're going like, I am way too conservative and re reserved to be boogieing at church. It's not going to happen. And some of us are a lot more comfortable, and, and others of us are going, I don't want anybody peeking while I'm wiggling around. There's just no way. But, but nonetheless, dancing is a legitimate thing, and most of you have danced. I've seen people do, do like a happy dance when they get the, a brand new iPhone. Yeah. How come? Woo! I got my phone. I got my, they do this little dance thing, right? Or, or in some cases, uh, although I don't remember Pam doing this, but in some cases, like when, when somebody kneels before someone says, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think, would you, uh, will you marry me? And they're like, yeah, we're going to do the dance. We're getting married. We're getting, uh, they probably wouldn't dance that. <laughs> Disturb me. But you understand what I'm saying. We dance for all kinds of reasons, but oh, I shall not dance in church. Okay, that's fine. Every now and then, uh, you know, high fives are fine, chest thumping is good, but I, I, I might end up busting a move in front of you one of these days. We'll just see. Uh, so some, something's kind of on my heart here a little bit that is a little bit of a side note. Um, I have no idea who I'm talking to specifically about this, but someone here today, you clearly know how vividly and powerfully you were, you were bound by something that Jesus has set you free from. And um, maybe you shouldn't even be alive today. Or maybe you're one that's contemplating, is there really any value in life? And maybe you're seeing your present state as a place where, you know, I don't know if this life is really worth living. But you have seen him turn your lowest point of sorrow and pain and disappointment into something beautiful. And I just encourage, I'm not going to ask you to get up and dance or whatever, but what I'm saying is, Allow yourself to clearly see what it is Christ 
has delivered you not only from what he's delivered you, but also unto what he has delivered you into. A community of Christ followers that love Jesus, that love each other, that are here to help and to encourage and to strengthen one another. And uh, again, I don't know who it is I'm talking to, but uh, maybe later today, it's time for you to dance. So uh, another thing, sometimes uh, we worship with a sacrifice of praise. That's an interesting combination of words, isn't it? Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually. Can anybody tell me what continually means? All the time. You guys are great. Let us all the time offer to God a sacrifice of praise. This is something that... um, Ah, pet peeves, probably too strong a word, but because I know some of us are much more emotive than others. But when, when people say to me, oh, yeah, I'll worship him when I feel his presence. That just kind of gripes me. Because our feelings do not dictate whether or not Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise or our worship. It's just not the way that it works. So sacrificial praise is when we worship him when we feel like it, but a greater expression is when we worship him when we don't feel. Because it's about him and not about me. We worship him when blessings abound and we worship him when we're hurting. We choose to worship him with the sacrifice of praise because our worship is not contingent upon our circumstances. One more time, you gotta say amen. Amen. Because it's true. If we stop worshiping because we don't feel like it or life is crummy, Guess what? We'll spend more time not worshiping than worshiping. Many of us today are actually called in the middle of our pain and our heartache and our disappointment to worship him. We call it a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to call the the band up, the worship team. In a moment, I'll direct the prayer team in just just a moment. But the prayer team will be lined up uh, over here near the banner. And I encourage you, uh, as soon as I have them come up, we're going to sing a song. As soon as I have them come up, um, they'll be ready to to pray with you regarding anything you might be facing. It could be something you heard today or or something completely uh, different. So I talk about numerous uh, areas of worship. Sometimes we bow, sometimes we raise our hands, sometimes we'll dance, sometimes we'll worship him with a sacrifice of praise. And here's, I hope this is the takeaway that joins all those other things. Because daily, daily, we lay down our lives as an act of worship to him. And this is some of the stuff that means You don't have to always be right. Better for you and I to be loving than always have to win an argument. Better for us to demonstrate grace than win. Daily, we lay down our lives as an act of worship because worship is not just something we do. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, a worshiper is who you are. It's not just something we do. Paul says this in Romans 12 and verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let me translate it into a vernacular that I kind of understand. In view of all that God has done for me, in view of all that God has done for you, our only reasonable response is to worship him in totality. To worship him if we're healthy or unhealthy, if you love your job or not, if you have plenty or you find yourself in lack. Because worship isn't just the songs that we sing, it's the life that we live. And worship is born out of my heart, not my mouth. Your heart, not your mouth. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, if you would, please. It'll just be a few more moments. And I appeal to you, the band is preparing to lead us in a song. It'll just be a moment or two. But I appeal to you to get your heart ready to give at least this little expression of worship to the king. Worship from your heart, not just your mouth. Let me answer a question for you. Who is our God? He is our rock and he is our redeemer. He is our refuge and our righteousness. He is our deliverer. He is our defense. He is our strength, our shield, and our salvation. Who is our God? He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the good shepherd. He is the true vine. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Who is Jesus? He is the light of the world. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Our God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He is good through and through. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. He is the beginning and He is the end. Jesus is our soon coming King. In fact, He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Every knee will bow before Him.